You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Before I begin this morning, I would like to take a minute just to talk about the VITA event that is happening this weekend. Um, Thank you for that. Thank you, Kaylee. That's our president over there. Um, The Visible and Invisible Disabilities Alliance is hosting an event this weekend in the Loose um, on Saturday from 1 to 3 p.m. It's called Goalball Day. Um, If that sounds even remotely mysterious, you can follow us on Instagram at asbury underscore vida, V-I-D-A. For more information, it's going to be a blast, and I hope that we can see you guys there. So I knew as soon as I read the theme, Trusting God in the Chaos, that the Holy Spirit was telling me that I would be talking today. You see, my chaos began when I was seven years old and diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Ulcerative colitis is an IBD, which is an irritable bowel disease. It is chronic, meaning ongoing. And though there are treatments, there is no medical cure or real medical understanding of what causes it. It is also an autoimmune disease, which means I'm sick because the white blood cells in my body think something in my colon is the enemy and my body is attacking itself. This also means that I live with a suppressed immune system, which in the age of COVID is not great. Um, Because of the nature of my illness and the symptoms I experience, I've long identified myself with the bleeding woman that we read about in the Gospels. Mark 5, 25 through 34 tells her story. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' dying daughter. And the word says, a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. For years, I was convinced that God would heal me after 12 years of suffering from UC. And then 12 years came and went and I didn't experience a miracle. And I was lost and confused and ultimately hopeless. I believed in my head that God could heal me, and I saw the ways that he was bringing healing to other people. But I doubted in my heart that he was willing to heal me. I kept thinking about Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I kept asking God, how could these be the plans that you have for me? What is prosperous about lifelong suffering? How is a future where the threat of cancer looms over me not harmful? Where's the hope in that? I realize now I more closely relate to Job. Job had so much going for him. He had a big family, he had land, he had status, and apart from that, Job 1 tells us that he was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Job was on top of the world and was in God's favor, and then out of the blue, he lost everything. Complete chaos. 
And while he did not curse God or reject him for this chaos, he began to question God's sense of justice, asking the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? He wrestles with this question throughout the whole book, and towards the very end, God finally responds to Job. But he doesn't give Job a direct answer to his question. Rather, he responds with, one, you speak of things you do not know, and two, I'm asking you to trust me in this chaos. Before junior year, I finally confessed my hopelessness to God. I admitted I didn't have any hope and I didn't even really know what hope was. And just as James 5.16 tells us, it was after I confessed my faults that I started experiencing healing, but in a different way. God began to heal my poor understanding of hope and what it meant to trust in Jesus as my sustainer and redeemer. He began to transform my very limited and very linear understanding of healing and how physical healing was not the only thing or even the most prominent thing I needed. I began praying consistently for my health. I asked my family and my friends to join me in praying for healing. I went to a healing service at my church back home, and I started believing and trusting that healing was in my future, just maybe not in the ways I had first thought. Through this process of surrender and prayer, my trust in God shifted from God, I trust you, so why aren't you healing me, to God, I trust you, have your way in me. God, I trust you, so whatever my story ends up being, use it for your glory. Use me, use my testimony to point people to Jesus Christ as Savior, Redeemer, Sustainer. God, I trust you, use me how you see fit. The physical healing of my ulcerative colitis is still something I hope for, still something I pray for. But my trust in God through the chaos now goes beyond miraculous healing. A couple weeks ago, Dr. Brown quoted a hymn by John Newton that really stuck with me. It says, Be gone, unbelief, my Savior is near, and for my relief she will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel I smile at the storm. I think trusting God in the chaos sometimes means that the coming storm is rebuked entirely and dissipates instantly. But more often than not, I think it means that we can stand firm and smile as we watch the storm approach. Asbury, I'll leave you with two things to consider and then I'll pray to close. One, where is your trust in God limited to or contingent upon his action in your life? And what chaos can you invite God into this week? If you'll close your eyes with me, and with our eyes closed, if you are feeling the weight of chaos right now, whether it's schoolwork or financial struggle or illness of your own or illness of a family member, would you just raise your hand or nod or do something to indicate to God that you are struggling? and let your spirit receive these words. Lord Jesus, thank you for the storm. 
We give you praise for heaviness because it shows us that we cannot and should not try to handle chaos on our own. God, thank you that you are sovereign and completely in control. You command the wind and the waves to quiet and be still, and they obey. Thank you that you are trustworthy, that you say what is true, even when we don't know what you're doing. Holy Spirit, come. Rest on us today. Fill us with your grace and give us courage to confess when we are hopeless or tired or falling apart. God, I lift up anyone in this room or anyone who is listening who feels like they are being tossed about by the storm. Would you calm the seas, give them rest, and breathe life into them again? I pray these things in the name of Jesus, the only one who can save. Amen. Father, we love you and we praise you this morning. We ask that you come and that you be with us. I ask, Lord, that you make my words your words and that you would speak through me this morning. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I want to open with a soft uh, trigger warning. I will be discussing um, briefly depression, suicide, things of that nature. If you need to step out for any reason, please feel free. This is a comfortable zone. No one's going to judge you for that. Just putting that out there. So, to open, when I was 15 years old, I started struggling with symptoms of depression. I really got hit with wave after wave of this just inability to move, inability to work, inability to feel emotion. Um, I would lay in bed for hours during the day, late into the night. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. Often I would cry, not out of sadness, but out of something to do. I was going through this deep inner turmoil. And around that time, I also started struggling with a lot of thoughts of self-hatred, self-loathing, and suicidal thoughts, passive suicidal thoughts. This was a regular occurrence for me. It was uh, every night I would lay in bed, I would let my mind wander, and I would lay for hours and I wouldn't sleep. And then I would eventually fall asleep around four in the morning and wake up at six for class. And I did that every day for roughly four years. And around 19 is when I hit my peak with my depression, with my self-loathing. While I was here at Asbury, finishing out freshman year, entering into sophomore year, I was engaged in this constant, quiet struggle and battle and turmoil. If you asked any one of my friends how I was doing, anywhere from 15 to 19, they would have responded with, Josiah, he's fine. He's one of the happiest guys I've ever met. Real, real genuine guy, real nice, real open, real honest with you about his feelings. But I wasn't. <laughs> I was struggling a lot. It was quiet. It was subtle. It was real. When I was 19, starting my sophomore year here at Asbury, I reached my actual peak and actually went through and planned out my suicide. 
I didn't follow through with it. I couldn't tell you why. It wasn't some big explosive moment where God came and met me. I just didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. But that night something changed in me. I, I saw the other side and I realized that I had to do something different, something that I wasn't doing. So I started my road to recovery and I started trusting God. And it began with prayer. That was step number one. I began to pray. I had been praying for years. I met God for the first time for the real in my life at 17, smack dab in the middle of this war that I'd been fighting, and I'd been praying for years for deliverance and for freedom, and nothing came. I got worse. And I began to doubt God. I began to question whether or not He cared or was real. But after that night, at 19, I started with prayer. And in the quiet of my struggle, I heard his voice. And it was not some grand moment. It was not some epiphany. It was a subtle whisper. And I moved into the next step. I talked to someone about it. And that was scary, and that was hard, and that was difficult, but I talked to someone about it. I talked to my mom. And it was a short, easy, brief conversation. No, no, it wasn't. It was long, <laughs> and it was hard, and it was painful. But I talked to her. And after that conversation, I started another conversation. I met with a counselor. And I'm going to take a moment here in the middle of this to give a huge shout out and a huge point towards Asbury's counseling services. Guys, they are free. They are available. These are trained professionals who get paid to sit there and listen to you. It doesn't have to be this big moment. You don't have to wait until you stand on the cusp of making a mistake that you can never take back. You can go talk to them now. Healthy people go to counseling. Uh, Greg said something yesterday that I thought was beautiful. Counseling makes healthy people healthier. Like there's no downside to going to counseling. So please, it's free, it's available, you meet once a week, maybe more if that's what you decide on with your counselor. They're lovely, they really are. I sat across from Molly uh, every day, like or once a week, twice a week for like two semesters, and she was absolutely wonderful. She listened to me ramble about everything I could have thought of. Great people, please go. I can't recommend them enough. So that was my next step. I started going to counseling. I started talking about it more and opening up more, and Molly, bless her heart, put up with me for so long. And she brought so much wisdom. She brought so much insight into my life. And the battle against this continued in the same way that the battle against it started in the quiet, small moments. I started waking up before my class and not laying in bed until the last minute 
I started actually getting up. I started making my bed. I started eating breakfast. These sound like really menial things. They sound tiny, but that's how you fight this, is you care about your mental health and you focus on what you need to do to get better. And all throughout all of this was prayer and trusting God. And I realized as I continued, not one big moment, but a thousand little moments, I realized that God was meeting me because God had always been there. It wasn't some distance between me and God that I had to cross to get to him. It wasn't some grand journey I had to go on. I just had to talk to him. I just had to listen to him. And I just had to walk baby steps one at a time until I got there. Trusting God in the chaos isn't always a big moment. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it's this huge epiphany moment with trumpets and choirs and you see God and you're changed forever. That's real. I've seen it. But often, it's small. It's quiet. It's genuine. And it's slow. I am 22. I have been going through this healing process for three years now. And I'm still healing. But you know what? This morning, I made my bed. This morning, I got up at 7 a.m. I, I didn't have anything until this. I didn't have to get up until like 9, probably. But I got up at 7. I didn't eat breakfast, I'll admit. But I'm working on it. I'm going to close reading Psalm 139. I'm just going to read the whole chapter. I want you guys to close your eyes. I want you guys to just sit in this with me. Um, if you want to pray, pray. If you want to come to the altar, come to the altar. If you just want to stay at your seat, stay at your seat. I'm going to get started. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made.
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If, it, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them when they, with complete hatred. I count them my enemies." Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievance way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.